we've hit the last message in this series, Christian Atheists. And it's, it's hard to believe we've come to the end. It's not because we've run out of material, right? It's not that uh, those things that Christians do and say we've hit them all within the past three weeks. I think we could have gone till Christ came back, right, with all the different things that um, seem not to be in alignment sometimes. But we're here at the end. We kind of had to draw the line somewhere so that we can accomplish some of the other things that we have on the teaching calendar. And so this is the last one in this series. And I've heard from a lot of you saying, hey, this has sparked a lot of conversation. I mean, we've moved from the auditorium and gone out into the hallway and started to have some conversation about the statements that were said in here. And they moved from the hallway to the car to the home to work to life group. And so you've said that it really has sparked a lot of good conversation, challenging conversation. And we're going to continue in that dialogue today with just another one of those statements. I believe in God, but... Today we're going to look at this statement. I believe in God, but he doesn't love me. This is a Christian who says, I believe in God, and I believe that he loves others but not me. You see, they have a relationship with Christ. They know in their head that Scripture says that God is love, but they think God loves others, not them. They have a hard time understanding that God would really love them because if he only knew. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that kind of Maybe you haven't said it out loud, but inside you said, he loves others, but not me. I, ha- I-, I can recall times as an adult where I-, I have felt that and as a child. Give you a little glimpse into little Robbie, which I can't believe I'm going to share this part of it. But I was here for last week's message and it was on worry and trust. So I trust you guys with this, okay? I remember deeply feeling this. I was in second grade. And my school was about one mile, my elementary school was one mile from my house, so I used to walk. And for some reason, I have no idea how this started, but in second grade, I started picking up the habit of chain smoking. I walked on that ground, and I picked up cigarette butts. (laughs) I picked up cigarette butts, and for that school year, I smoked. I not only did that, but as I was walking to school, there was the newspaper machines that you put a quarter into that, right? And I I didn't pull a quarter. I found out that if you shook it just right, it would open. So I took a couple papers. So this chain smoke is sitting there with the newspapers. (laughs) I read the headlines, and then I would go by the brook, which was right before the school, and I would be an environmental polluter, and I would throw the papers in the brook and then go to school. We can laugh. I can laugh now because it's long gone, but here, here's the thing. It didn't matter that I confessed that to my parents. It didn't matter that I confessed it to my principal. I even confessed it to the chief of police because I was a junior policeman in my town and on the interview <laughs> shared, I got to tell you something. I'm a, it didn't matter that I did all of those things. I was still plagued with guilt, which I should have. We're going to talk about some of that today, so hear me on that. But I was plagued with guilt, and I wish that I could say when I became a Christ follower in high school that that moment, this 
I believe in God, but he doesn't love me, vanished. I wish I could say that that's what happened. But I wrestled with things. The truth is the beliefs that I had early on and the patterns that I used to put truth before me and to deal with the guilt, those carried over into my Christian walk, into my life as a Christ follower. So for years, God had to deal with me doing some reshaping and some redefining of what to do with this guilt. Have you ever wrestled with guilt? Some of you are shaking your heads, yeah. Some of you are going, he's a loony, right? You're thinking, but I guarantee you that there are folks in here that are saying, preach it, brother, keep talking. I think this message has my name on it. Maybe for you, some of the past failures and mistakes keep resurfacing, even though you've done all those other things that we talked about. Maybe for you, the guilt and the shame keeps weighing you down. And and guilt can show up in the weirdest places. It doesn't even have to do with our mistakes and our failures, which the Bible calls sin. It, It doesn't even have to do that. It can show up in places like loss. If you've ever experienced loss, there are some that can say they feel guilty for living. Why am I living and they are not? They start to say, question their value and their significance and often land in a spot where they say, I'm not acceptable. I'm not lovable by God. And you see, living in a way where this statement becomes our life verse, where we say, I believe in God, but he doesn't love me, leads us to a life that is completely robbed of joy and keeps us stuck and almost paralyzed in life. None of you would sit when you're older and passing on wisdom to generations below you. You wouldn't sit on that that porch swing and sit with your grandson and say, you know what, the wisest piece of advice I could give you is make sure you live your life 24-7 feeling guilty, son. That's what you should do. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't tell your grandson or granddaughter, listen, make sure you go around life living, refusing the love of God and refusing the love from others. That wouldn't be wise. You wouldn't find God saying it in his wise book. It's just not true. And I want to get this book in your hand before we, or before we continue because we're going to look at God's word this morning as we do every week. And the truth we want to put before us is his, not mine. So ushers, if you would come down and hand out Bibles. If you don't have one or you forgot one, just signal to them. They will give you a Bible. If you don't have one, please take it home. It is our gift to you. But when you flip through that book, you're going to realize that you are not alone. You're going to look in there and you're going to find people like Job who says, I despise myself. You read Moses and David and they say, who am I, God, that you would do this for me? You read Paul when they're talking about sinners, he said, I'm the worst of sinners. But get this, because what they did was they drew near to God, and God drew near to them, 
And what you see is, is the answer. See, God talks about guilt and shame in this book. He has an answer to it. And this book demonstrates that he does love us. And today is such an important topic, this whole idea of guilt and shame. And I realize that not everybody struggles with this, but everybody in here today needs to hear this message, including me. Because we fall into kind of three big camps. There's some of you that are wrestling. Your, your life is kind of marked with guilt. It weighs you down. You're trying to understand what's real, what's false. How do I deal with that? Well, today is for you. We're going to talk about that today. Some of you are Christ followers and who are, and not that you aren't in the other one. You can be a Christ follower and struggle with this. But some of you are Christ followers and you are deeply rooted in God's love for you. You just understand that. It's like a warm blanket that comes over you. You understand that. Nothing can shake that. This message is for you as well. Because there are people who are around you that are struggling to have. They want what you have. They want to experience what you have. And you need to become a living testimony of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to them. God wants to use you to help turn around their life verse that says God loves others but not me into God loves me without a doubt he loves me. He wants to use you to do that. So Christ followers, this is a message for you. And then there are some of you that are sitting in here and you don't feel guilty, but you should. Because you are imposing your standard on other people, making them feel guilty because they don't live up to it. And maybe today for you, you start to turn the self-righteousness into a righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. This message, we all need to stay dialed in this morning because it should speak to every one of us. This week's statement really has to do with our conscience, doesn't it? Because our conscience is what helps us understand right and wrong. And before we go into how do I know and all that, we first have to realize that our conscience is a gift from God. Our conscience is a gift from God. Everyone has it. All you have to do is be breathing, and you have this gift. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles do not have the, who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts, now accusing them, now even defending them. See, Paul says Jew or Gentile. That's his way of saying everyone. Whether you know God or not, you have the gift of a conscience. I like what Eugene Peterson said when he translated this verse. He said, there is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, his right and his wrong. Our conscience is a gift. It's like a thermostat, how a thermostat regulates temperature. A healthy conscience is one that judges and guides our morality. 
And it's a gift because it can help us from hurting ourselves, others, or our relationship with God. In our Christian walk, as we experience guilt, it's a necessary part of a healthy relationship with God. There is no such thing as a guilt-free life. You wouldn't want that. I mean, we see, I go in the grocery store, you go out to eat. Now, the big thing is, right, trans-fat-free, right, trans-free, trans-free. And you wonder how some of these things could actually be trans-free. There's like no way that potato chip is trans-free, right? Well, you find out if you eat the speck, the little corner of the chip, a little flake, that's trans-fat-free. But if you eat a chip, oh, it's, it's full of the other thing. There is no such thing as a guilt-free life. It would be unhealthy to not have a sense of what's right and wrong and have guilt that kind of gives that indicator. But here's the point. We should not be overwhelmed by our guilt or consumed with our guilt. It's hard though, isn't it? Because when we feel guilty, it doesn't feel good, does it? I don't get on my knees and pray, oh, Lord, please do not let this feeling pass. I would like this for the next three days. We don't do that, right? Guilt is something that we want gone. I remember that I was playing, I wanted to play with a neighbor who had gone and moved away, and I couldn't wait for this play date. Finally get to go over to his house, go in his woods. He had like three acres of woods. I couldn't wait. He was a little boy. First thing I do when I got in the woods, I got a piece of bark in my eye. And the thing just started swelling up and swelling up. And as much as I wanted to play, all I wanted to do was get rid of that thing that made me look like Rocky Balboa and, and just keep me from blinking. I wanted that thing gone. And that's what we do with our guilt. It feels so bad that we want it gone. And the reason is, I am not meant to carry around my guilt. God didn't design us in such a way to say, you are to have guilt on you 24-7. We are not meant to carry it. It feels terrible. And so we get rid of it. There are so many different ways we can get rid of guilt. See if you can find yourself in one of these ways. We can deny that we're guilty. We can work really hard to convince ourselves that what we did wasn't really wrong at all. So why work so hard and feel guilty for something that doesn't exist? So we can deny our guilt. We can try to be a better person. You know, if I'm angry, then I'm going to try harder and I'm going to be nice. If I'm addicted, I'm going to stop and I'm going to do X, you know, just be free. We try harder, we try harder, we try harder, but what happens there? We cycle back around. Another thing we do is we compare ourselves against others so that we build ourselves up at the expense of others. One might say, well, he had an affair. All I did was look at some pictures. You see, we're comparing ourselves against others. And the last way I want to mention is we obsess on it. We start to say stay so focused on that, consumed. We try to inflict pain on ourselves in a sick way. If we do that, then it releases us temporarily from guilt, or so we think. And we push ourselves away from God. None of those things are new at all. 
Go back. Page 2, Genesis 3, first humans. What did they do? They denied and they ran away from God. And we still find ourselves doing some of that same stuff right here. They all have one thing in common. They do not work. Those things don't work. And I thought about ending the sermon right there and saying, stop, let's pray. Be done, right? Stop. That's all you do. We're not going to do that. We need to listen to our guilt. Because guilt like pain means that something is wrong. We need to listen to it. Because if our thermostats, if you will, are working right, then when we feel guilty, it is because that we're going against what God wants and desires for us. We have this, if it's working right, an awareness that we are failing to meet what God has us to do. Now, we will never measure up to God's standard. Read Romans 3.23. We fall short. There's nothing you can do, perform, or do whatever to meet God's criteria, his standard of perfection, holy and blame. Nothing you can do. Now, you're going, great. We are having a sermon on guilt, and he is making me feel guilty. <laughs> right? Come on. What's this all about? I do not want to follow a God who makes me feel guilty and wants to keep me at arm's length and be disconnected from me. I don't believe in that God. That's not the God of this Bible right here. Our God loved us so much that he said, I don't want to leave it that way. I want a relationship with you. If you're going to read Romans 3.23, read John 3.16, read Romans 6.23, and read about the gift that we have in Jesus Christ who gives us life and forgiveness for our sins, past, present, and future. One of the most important things we could ever do in life or that we can do in life is to believe that that is true and to accept that gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. It is what drives us as a church. It's connecting people with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and growing them in that relationship. And I love that if if you're not there, but you're here, it means you are seeking him. And we would love to continue the dialogue with you. Either check on your WhatsApp card or catch me or Joel or Todd out in the lobby. But that is such an important step. Here's the deal, though. Even as a Christ follower, one who is made righteous in God's eyes through Jesus Christ and whose conscience is heightened because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the informed of God's word, even though we know that, we still struggle with sin. We are not perfect, right? So we're going to have this feeling of guiltiness. Have you ever wondered when you read statements like that, today's I believe in God, but you wonder, can the thermostat be broken? Right? Can, can I feel guilty when I'm not? Can a Christian atheist, the one we're talking about today, I believe in God, but he doesn't love me, could he be struggling with a thermostat that's stuck in the condemned position? Is that even biblical? Well, the Apostle John speaks to this. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. 
He says, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we can set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You see, in the Bible, the heart is more than this, this organ that pumps blood. It is the center of one's life. All thought, all behaviors and choices originate from the, from the heart. You can think of the heart as being part of the conscience. And John confirms that we can feel guilty and our heart can be at unrest in a state of doubt. But notice what he says. He says, rest is possible. And so if you're like me, you're like, how? Let me know. Because we've already established this idea of real guilt and, if you will, false guilt. And they both make me feel the same way, guilty and condemned. How do I know which one is which? Well, it starts by asking yourself the question, whose standard am I evaluating myself against? Because they're different for those different kinds of guilt. False guilt, you might find yourself saying something like this. I need, to get it. I need to get all A's in AP courses. There's no if, answer, but all A's or else I feel guilty. Laugh, but it's true. That applies in all other areas of your life. Get to, to be an adult. And you have a spouse who stays home and says, this is my job. This house better be spotless. It better pass the white glove test or else I feel like I failed. I feel guilty. Contrast that with what I'll call true guilt. Somebody who knows that I am to uplift a person, to encourage them, and to support them, and I just got finished saying a lot of harsh words to this person. And I walk away saying, I feel guilty. Whose standard is being used in those two cases? Think of it this way. I heard one counselor, um, I think it was uh, Paulson, that said, whose eyes are you concerned about? Because there's a difference. In false guilt, you're concerned about your own eyes or somebody else's eyes, maybe your husband or your wife's eyes. And the second one, it's God's eyes, God's standard that you care about because he's the one calling you to love on an individual, to build them up. There's a difference in the standard, and there's only one standard that should matter, and that's God's. So you've got to stop and say, which standard am I using? And, and how, do you, how, how do you do that? How do you use God's standard? Well, go to God's word for guidance. It's why we give it out every week. It's the truth. It's what we filter our lives through and let it direct us. And we come to his word and say, is what I'm doing, is what I'm saying or acting on, is, is that aligned, God, with what your word says? And you're saying, yeah, that sounds real clear, black or white. Sometimes it isn't. I agree. But God speaks through individuals. So then if it's unclear to you, then hopefully you're connected to other Christ followers. If here at the church, that's why we say get in a life group, get in a mountain group, be connected in your youth group, get in all of these different groups so that you can go to a, a member of your life group who's a mature Christian or a life group leader or your pastor and say, 
I'm having a hard time aligning what I'm doing with God's word. Can you help me answer that? I want to use God's standard, not my own. Now, we read that passage in John. If, if you're reading ahead as I was talking, you get to 21 and say, Rob, I, I don't, I got a problem. It says in 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, but we obey his commands and do what he pleases. Rob, my heart is condemning me. I believe it's for real guilt because I've measured up against his standard, and I believe that I feel really guilty. What do I do about that? Because my heart isn't at rest. My heart isn't at peace, and I don't see John talking about that right here. We don't have all morning, but if you turn back to 1 John chapter 1, you see that he actually does address that. And here's what he would say. He said, freedom from real guilt begins when I confess. With real guilt, you confess to God. You go to God. You draw near to God. Distancing yourself from him will not work. Freedom from real guilt does not begin by running away from God. God's love is not fickle. He will not, he won't budge when you confess to him. His love stays the same. Listen to what he says in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, after you confess, something, think about if you confess to a person, sometimes they can change on you, and all of a sudden they want no part of you. Don't impose that on God. That's not, God's not like that. His love is unfailing. You see, in Christ, he says, I remember your sin no more. In Christ, he says, I have hurled it into the depths of the seas. In Christ, your sin, which is scarlet red, is turn to white. That's what he says. He forgets it no more. He forgets it. And you are, Scripture says, presented as holy in God's eyes. Man, you have to let that seep in. Holy and without blemish. You see, Christ followers can have full confidence as they approach God to know that he loves them. And we are to live a life. It's not a once and done. Our life is to be continually about just laying our life there and saying, oh, God, I think this was out of line. I asked for your forgiveness. Somebody say, oh, is it licensed to sin? No, that's not, not what we're talking about. Read the rest of chapter 3. Um, John says that Christ followers do not go on sinning. But it's living our life in front of God. No secrets, God. I'm all yours. Freedom from real guilt begins when I confess. Now, some of you are saying, I've done that. I am a Christ follower. I have confessed until my lips turn blue, and I still feel guilty. What help you got for me now, right? John would say this, freedom from false guilt begins when I find rest. The truth is, Christians can still feel guilty even after they have confessed. Why? Why is, why is that the case? I'll name a couple. 
there's somebody out there called Satan, real, spiritual. And there is a spiritual battle going on for your heart and the captivity of your attention of your heart. And you see, Satan will say, oh, that was so bad. You could never be forgiven for that. What are you even thinking? But that's where we go to the Bible. And this truth will squash those lies. But Satan is called the liar. And you will hear his voice. We will also be an enemy as well. Because all of a sudden, to get rid of that guilt, we start to create our own standard. The church can do this, so you can do it. If I do this, or the church creates some traditions and some religiousness, and we start to follow that, and we all of a sudden put that at a higher standard than what God sets before us in here. It's not about what God says. All of a sudden it becomes about this set of works and this, the confidence in what we've done. But folks, whether it's real guilt or false guilt, the answer still lies in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You see, in Christ you're holy and without blemish. John's answer is like Paul's answer. John says in 23, how do you get your heart at rest? is to believe in Jesus Christ because he also says the work of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in you when you do that will help you know that he, that you are his. Do you really believe that? Do you believe Colossians 1? That Jesus came for the very thing that you say, I can't be loved, I'm unlovable. Let your heart rest in that truth. Because God has a deep, deep affection for you. And he came to redeem you. And you've got to let that move from here to just explode right here. I want the band to to play as they've started I'm going to play a song. And I want you to talk to God. Keep the verse, if you will, the Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 22 up there. And may that become a truth in your life. It is our prayer that as you walk away, that your heart can be at rest because of what Christ has done at the cross. And that the words of the song, I just kind of want to leave you with that. Oh, how he loves us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and this is one of those statements that um, affects so many other areas of our life. I think it, it affects all the other things where we say and we do different things because deep down, we don't know 
that you fully, fully love us. And I pray for anyone feeling that here today, that this would begin the step toward freedom and that they can put their hearts at rest through Christ. And Lord, as they wrestle through that, I know and I ask that you hold them, comfort them, but don't let them not resolve that. It's my prayer, the church's prayer, that they get to a point that they say, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that I am loved. And the cross and your son, Jesus Christ, proves that. And no matter what's going on in my life, I step out in that faith. And may your spirit, Lord, resonate with their spirit, letting them know that they are a child of yours. And it's in the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.